Your ability to manage, control, and own in a positive, powerful way this remote environment, that may be the single most differentiator between you and your competitor. And so if, if that's the case, then that's why we gotta be so good at it. That's why we gotta really enhance our skills in this remote world. You're listening to the Audible Ready Podcast, the show that helps you and your teams sell more faster. We'll feature sales leaders sharing their best insights on how to create a sales engine that helps you fuel repeatable revenue growth. Presented by the team at Force Management, a leader in B2B sales effectiveness. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to the Audible Ready Podcast. I'm Rachel Clapmiller, and today we are going to talk about remote selling. It's something that many of us may have been doing pre-pandemic, but now it's so prevalent that it has likely impacted or changed how we sell in some way. Our facilitator, Marty Mercer, has been helping some of our clients navigate selling in this environment, and he joins me today. Hi, Marty. Hey, Rachel. Glad to be on with you. Thanks for inviting me. Yes, I'm happy. I think this is your inaugural visit to the Audible Ready Podcast. It is, it is my inaugural visit, so I'm, I'm happy to be a, a member of the team now. Yes, yes. And I know this is a topic that you're passionate about, you're working with our clients on, and even there's research on it now. I've, we found a recent McKinsey study that showed more than 75% of buyers and sellers prefer virtual interactions. And through these interactions, 70% of them would purchase new solutions in excess of 50 grand. 27% of B2B buyers would purchase new solutions in excess of $500,000. And 15% of them would purchase new solutions in excess of $1 million. So people are becoming more accustomed to doing the, the big work virtually. So it's time to think about what does that mean for us as salespeople? Yeah, so that, that was a recent study that came out. And, you know, I sort of think of all of this pandemic selling is starting in March because that's that's really when it, it started. So as I was preparing for this podcast, it hit me, you know, one of our challenges on this topic of pandemic selling, virtual selling, remote selling, however you want to think about it, is that we didn't have time to ease our way into it. It seemed like it was completely overnight. One day we could go visit customers and then boom, because of the pandemic and how most communities shut down, it, all, it was overnight. And so we weren't prepared for that, you know, that, that fact that we had to start selling virtually in, in the pandemic. And so we just have been struggling with that. And yet here's this McKinsey study that says customers are comfortable in buying in that environment. So it's this weird sort of dichotomy that they're saying it's okay, but we're feeling awkward about it. And so I think that's what's fun about this podcast and fun on the things that I've been doing with our customers is you can get over it. You can get good at it. Your customers are comfortable with it, but you have to do a few things differently. So I'm glad yeah. we're going to be able to talk about that today. Sure. And I think you mentioned, you know, sort of when it, when the pandemic hit March, it did happen overnight. And not only were we struggling with potentially a new way of selling, it was also our buyer's needs were changing. So it was a perfect storm, so to speak. So now we're several months into it. Uh, we're getting our skis under us, so to speak. What are the struggles that you hear most often from sales organizations? What are salespeople struggling with? Yeah, you know, I hear people say things. We actually did a survey uh, with one of our prospects, uh, our customers, and they said things like, well, it's, it has a sterile feeling, this, this virtual, you know, Zoom, WebEx, GoToMeeting, whatever tool you're using. They said it feels sterile. They're so used to being face-to-face 
and shaking hands and walking the halls or walking to the break room and getting a cup of coffee with, with prospects and customers. And so it just feels so very different to them. And then I think sellers and customers, because now everything is, is virtual, there's that virtual fatigue, you know, Zoom, one of the most popular tools. People talk about, you know, the Zoom fatigue all day long, we're clicking in cameras. And so that's just kind of wearing people down. So it's impacting both the seller and the, the buyers on that. So let's talk about what, what, what do we do as salespeople? And we are going through notes in advance and we boiled them down to three major areas that you need to be purposeful in and consider the remote environment as you do them. The first is how you prepare. It's how you prepare, but let me, let me throw this thought out too, because I think there's this, this thought here is important and has, has been forgotten, which is the things that we sell, the things that our customers sell, those products and solutions are still great and fantastic products and solutions. And our customers' business problems haven't changed. They might've actually gotten even worse in the pandemic, depending on the kind of business that they're in. So the fact remains, we have really great stuff to help solve customers' problems. In some cases, they're worse. We can't forget that fact. Again, I think we've let the Zoom pandemic thing cloud our vision. And so we just have to, I think we got to keep remembering that. So first off, what, what I'm going to say, my personal opinion is the pre-call prep is even more critical than it used to be. We always talked about pre-call prep before the pandemic, but here's my feeling. You, you just go ahead and assume you've got one chance to do really good on these calls. People's attention spans are shorter. They're on more meetings. They're at home too. Their kids and dogs and pets are there. And so the pre-call prep to me is probably the number one most important part of the meeting. The art and science of professional selling, in other words, is even more important than it used to be before. So the way you own and manage the virtual meeting, I believe, will differentiate you as a seller from the competition sellers. I think that's that's super important, doing more homework and prep on the front end. Yeah. And we all have our own habits for pre-call prep. We have our rhythms that we follow. How do you recommend salespeople adjust them for those remote conversations? Well, I think I'm going to say that most sellers are probably studying the company, reading the annual reports, and if they're publicly traded, 10Ks, 10Qs, those kind of things. But my feeling, I don't have scientific evidence on this, is that we're not spending as much time studying the people that are actually going to be on the call. And so the, the, the easiest and obvious way is LinkedIn. We need to study the individuals that are going to be on that call as much as we study the company. You know, where are they from? Where did they go to school? What does their job history look like? Do we, you know, what common uh, connections do we have with them? Because I think the more you know about them, the more that you're going to be able to re relate to them with this virtual camera-driven conversation. So I think it, it, we got to do more research in general overall, but I think most sellers are probably not spending as much time on, on that personal and figuring out where they've been, uh, where they might be going, that, that particular person on the call, and what's going to be important for them because you got to hit that pretty darn hard on the beginnings of those calls so that they hear a reason why they should keep listening to you. Sure. And once you develop that with those personal connections. If you've done your research, that makes for a more, a warmer conversation. And as I was going through some of the client decks that you have done on this topic, Marty, I was not struck, but I thought, oh, that's a good idea when you, when you 
we're talking about post-it notes and writing down questions because in a remote environment, you can kind of hide those notes. And, and so it, it's like so easy and so simple. I mean, I'm chuckling because it's just, it just makes me laugh, right? You know, we, when we are in front of people, for whatever reason, at times we felt like we shouldn't show that we've done homework and we have notes in front of us. I always told people before the pandemic, hey, have your notes in front of you because I think so many buyers don't think sellers do that much preparation, right? Well, now I'm on camera. Now I can have posted notes. I can have notes on my desk. I could have a second monitor and I could have my questions in a Word document or whatever on a second monitor. There's no reason not to have all that information right in your eyes view so that as you're driving that conversation, you can look left, look right, look down, look around the monitor. There's all your questions. There's all your prep that's right there in front of you. So that, that seems like sort of a, a minor thing. And yet uh, one of the things that I think is super important for sellers is to be confident. So that research and then having the little post-it notes, I think will make you much more confident. And I think if you're confident, you're going to sound better. You're going to have a better quality meeting. Yeah, and it can be post-it notes, but it could also be your value framework if you're a command and the message customer. Oh my gosh. <laughs> every every call I do, every meeting I do, I hold up the value framework and I wave it in front of the camera and I say, hey, how many of you guys have your value framework on your desk? And more and more, I'm actually seeing more and more have them there. I always talk about the value framework as, as being life is an open book test and the value framework is your open book. There's no reason to not have the value framework open on your desk reminders of discovery questions, trap setting questions, whatever it may be. It's, you know, you, your company paid money to have that bill. Use it, put it on your desk, have it open. Yeah, good, good. And also in a remote environment, you know, we've been on those calls where there's those conversations like, are you going to share your screen? Am I going to share? Who's going to drive? What? And you're, and you're doing it on the call. Those are some things, if you've got a team of people on the phone, that should be part of your prep to figure out who's doing what and when as part of the conversation. Absolutely. Again, we would have said that before the pandemic, <laughs> right? We would have said, you know, if you're going to be in the room, who's going to be in the room on our side? Who's going to be the quarterback or the MC or whatever phrase you like from our side and the seller side? Who's going to answer, you know, which objections? You should have been doing all of that. Um, a lot of people probably weren't because they got comfortable winging it. They thought they were, you know, they thought they kind of had it all in their head. I'm a big believer in writing out the pre-call plan. What is the agenda, who's going to answer what questions. Your team should be on the call 15 minutes prior to the start of the call. And during those 15 minutes, you have your, your screen up, you're sharing the screen, the document that you intend to show. So you can say, hey, can you see my screen to your team? <laughs> Get confirmation of that. And then you're on the call so that now when the customer quote walks into the room, your team is all there. You don't have to say, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Gessimer, can you see my screen? Because you already know it's it's there. So that's all part of that prep. And that so that is more uh, prep and, and uh, practice, I think, than perhaps you had to do before because you didn't have to worry about, can you see my screen? But if you're not doing that with your team and you're not getting on 15 minutes early, I think that's a habit. That's a habit we're in now. We always get on 15 minutes ahead of time. Yeah, I think in some cases, now that we're in this environment, we're almost prepping those technical things that we didn't really have to worry about when we were in person. And you should also have a plan if somebody loses internet or somebody's Zoom crashes to make sure that somebody else can pick up the slack. 
Yep, absolutely. Slack, pick up the Slack. Ha, we'll, we'll joke <laughs> on Slack. Uh, by the way, you should, you should have a back channel. Back to that conversation about prep and practice and, and, uh, and preparation. We use Slack as the back channel when we're doing our calls so that if you and I were on the call and you need to send me a message, you didn't want to say it out loud, I got Slack on my right-hand monitor right there. So that's, that's, part of being, that's part of being great in that. But the practice. So again, we do a dress rehearsal every single time we do one of these big meetings. And we get on the call. We get on the call with a couple of members from uh, the customer. Uh, we, we internally are just using that as our own prep and practice. We're making sure the customer has no issues with Zoom. Sometimes things can get blocked. Uh, we're using Zoom. Sometimes other customers want to use a different tool. So that means we've got to get used to the other tool. So that technical, what I call dress rehearsal, is very important. Uh, 10 days ago, Hurricane Zeta, I think it was, came <laughs> roaring through Atlanta, and I lost my Wi-Fi. The good news is it didn't really matter because I'm presenting. We'll get into more detail on this in a few minutes, I think. But I'm pre I present from my iPad. So when the Wi-Fi went out, it didn't matter. It dropped a cell and I kept presenting and didn't miss a beat. But beyond that, we're, we're very redundant. And so I knew that Shannon on our side uh, in, in North Carolina, she had the presentation already queued up. So if I went down, she would boom, share her screen and I would just keep talking. Yeah. So that is, that is super important. But the, the, uh, the iPad cell-based tablet uh, is a great way to make sure that that doesn't impact the main presenter. Yeah, always good to have have a backup. I uh, remember, I think it was one of the first webinars I ever did at Force Management. The whole building lost power five minutes before you're supposed to start. <laughs> I thought, oh my god! But I had uh, a backup jetpack, so I was I was ready, but. Electricity um, is important, right? Yeah, yes, it is. It is. So you, you mentioned um, a few minutes ago, Marty, about the agenda. So let's, I'd like to back up and, and dive in on that point a little bit. Planning that agenda and the flow of the call. What am I doing here to make sure I've got that flow right? How, am I adjusting my prep in a remote setting? Well, A, I think, as I said earlier, Whatever you did before, you need to multiply it like by a hundred. So I mean, that's a bit hyperbolic, I guess. But if you were spending half an hour preparing, maybe you need to spend an hour. So one of the phrases that I've used all the time, I didn't make this up, comes from Stephen Covey, the seven habits of highly successful people. One of them was start with the end in mind. So for any call you're on, first call, second call, final big presentation, meeting with the economic buyer to verify everything, whatever it happens to be, you need to, with your team, figure out where do we want to end this conversation in this meeting that would be a positive outcome for us and a positive outcome for the customer and then back up from there so that when you open the call and point A, point B, point C, et cetera, you end up where you wanna get. Most people start their agenda with the opening remarks, the introduction. What I want you to do is say, hey, how am I gonna conclude this call? And then the back up, back up, back up. So now you know where to begin and then you'll get to where you want to be. That, that is a bit of a, a behavior change for most people. That's not something they're probably in the habit of doing, starting by building the agenda with the end in mind. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, we just uh, published a podcast with Frank Azzolino, and we talked to Frank about his how he prepares for sales calls and how he you know executes the sales process. And one of the takeaways from that is to not try and do too much with the call, have one specific next step that you're trying to get to. And he says he'll 
he uses post-it notes and he will post it, use a post-it note and put that next step on his computer to keep the call focused, keep him focused on what he's trying to drive through. Yeah, I think um, I say this a lot, less is more. I know some people mm -hmm. kind of go, they want to cram too much. People try to cram too much in the meeting. I think less is more. And the buyer is going to appreciate the fact that you can go one, two, three, boom. Hey, did we accomplish our goals today? Great. Let's get back on the call next Thursday or whatever the next step would be. Yeah. So if we if we think back, you know, to selling remotely, doing all this virtually, everything you're doing, you're timesing a hundred, right? As you said. And it's important to think about the environment that your customer, your buyers, the people you're on the call with are in. And it is easier for them to drop out of a call when, when it's a remote, you know, sometimes when they're in a room with you, they're more likely to stay, but if they're on a, a zoom, it might be a little bit easier for them to bail and uh, cut out of the call. So that's also something that we should think through um, as we're preparing. You know, you make a great point. How many times has somebody actually in a face-to-face -face meeting gotten up and left and said, this isn't working for me? I mean, that maybe you can remember one or once or twice in your career. Maybe they've wanted but, uh, Yeah. But, uh, but now that we're remote, remote, it is easier. They can just click leave, right? But I think even more subtle and maybe even worse than that, to be honest with you, is the person who's there, you can see their face, but they've checked out mentally. They're, they're doing email. They're looking at their phone, you know, something else is going on. And so you think they're there, uh, but, but they really don't. And so here's, here's what I think the reason why people can check out or would leave is that they're not hearing anything that's saying to them, you've got something that's going to impact me. Again, every, you got to remember this. This is important. We're talking about sellers being on Zoom and at home. The buyers are for the most part at home. They've got the same distractions we have, right? And so this Zoom fatigue is taking over, meeting after meeting after meeting. And so if they don't hear something good, impactful, powerful for them when the call starts, they might want to physically leave or they might want to sort of mentally check out. And if you've got multiple people on the call, I get this question a lot from our customers. Well, what do we do when there's multiple people? Well, my first answer is, what did you do when you're face-to-face when there were multiple people? You talked to, to them and said, hey, Bob, I know these are your issues. We're going to talk about that. Sally, here's your issues. We're going to talk about that. You kind of pop around the room. You got to do the same thing on Zoom real quick. Boom, boom, boom. I know you got these different issues. We are going to talk about it. We got 30 minutes. We're going to, we're going to show you how we can impact each of your issues and challenges within that 30 minutes. It's just even more important to kick it off so they hear you recognize that they're time is crunched and they hear you sounding like that you know something about their business. I think yes. they'll be less likely to check out. Yeah. It, it, you make a good point too, Marty. It, it's, you may notice it more, more in a remote selling environment, but it's not necessarily the technology. It's the value you're providing in the call. Yeah. And if you are providing a valuable call for the people on it, they will stay with you. I think we said this uh, <laughs> earlier your ability to manage, control, and own in a positive, powerful way, this remote environment, that may be the single most differentiator between you and your competitor. And so mm -hmm. if, if that's the case, then that's why we got to be so good at it. That's why we got to really enhance our skills in this remote world. Yeah. So as we think about how we manage, control, and own the environment, a part of that is how we are engaging people on the call. You just kind of ran through some quick tips, how you're keeping focused 
keeping your audience focused on what you want them focused on, what are your tips for continuing to do that throughout the conversation? Well, one of the things, uh, you know, we talk about this remote persona, who are you on camera, right? And so at times we've heard about people saying that you may need to change your remote persona. And so I've been thinking about this a lot. We didn't have to worry about this until March of this year, right? So we had this, we're, we're in the same new world that all of our customers and, and uh, uh, prospects are, are in. But as, as time has gone by, I mean, I was a guy that spent 12 years in front of a live audience. I love the feel of the live audience. And I have to say, I was a little apprehensive about it when this first started. But what I have learned, what I believe, is that you, you shouldn't change who you really are in this remote persona world. So if you if you are uh, you know a, a, a real sort of outward person who communicates with their hands and their eyes and their face the way I'm doing right now, then keep doing that. If you like to drop in a few little jokes every now and then or use humor to as an advantage, keep doing that. What I think has happened is that people have said to themselves, "Well, this is remote; it's on camera. I should be different," and now they're trying to be something that they're not. That creates discomfort comes across clearly on the camera. So I think your remote persona is your persona. It's whoever you are. Just understand that, you, know, you kind of embrace it, figure out what, how you would be face-to-face -face and be like that. I think the more, I tell our customers, I try to make this remote environment as close as possible to what it was face-to-face -face so that it has as close as possible as that feel and less of this artificial camera feel. Yeah. And your body language is, is a good part of that. Well, the, so right now I'm standing, I think we're going to talk a little bit more about, about, about that in just a few minutes, but you are significantly more energetic. And I, I believe significantly more you when you are, when you are standing um, smile. I mean, right now, you know, it's just you and I, you're a big image on my screen. So <laughs> smile, there's no reason to not smile because you have awesome solutions that fixes big problems, right? And these customers have been struggling to solve those problems. So the reason why you're smiling is, hey, I got something that can that can really help you. I think the, the way you dress, now I'm not saying get all dressed up, but if we were business casual before, you'd wear, you know, slacks, khakis, whatever, and a collared shirt, then you should do the same. So I am, I am dressing exactly the same. It's gonna sound a little funny and hokey, even to the point of I'm not wearing my tennis shoes, I'm wearing the actual shoes that I would have worn if I was in front of the audience. Again, this theme of trying to make it feel as if we really are face to face. So the whole in, you know, the whole environment, you got to figure out a way so that it look, you look good and you sound good. That's what I'm, I guess I'm really saying. Yeah, that actually makes me think of a tip they would give you in, even in college when you were working with recruiters and doing your phone interviews, they encourage you to dress up because when you're on a phone interview and you're in your pajamas, you're not in that <laughs> business mindset. So actually dressing up for a phone interview impacts how you might answer the questions and, and communicate to a recruiter or whatever. So same I see, here. I see a lot of t-shirts and I, I see a lot of t-shirts from our customers uh, and that's okay. They can dress, they can dress however, however they want. But I think if I'm selling, I want to be uh, maybe dressed just a little bit above them. So just put a collared shirt on for gosh, gosh sakes, right? Right off the bat, that, that'll help you out, I think. Yeah, <laughs> if you do nothing else. We mentioned before about sharing your screen and technical 
preparing for the technology, but that's also a key part of engaging the people during the meeting. And when you're trying to share documents, you want to think through how best you can engage them while you're sharing documents or, or slides with them throughout the conversation. Yeah. And so the, you may have several things that you want to show and, and, or it might even be uh, something on the web that you want to show. So before every meeting, again, that's why we get on a quarter of uh, at force. Uh, I have every document and, or if I'm going to show something on a web page, I have everything open. So all I have to do is jump to that document, jump to that tab if I'm going to show something on the internet. And I and we all just kind of pop around on that in that 15 minutes just to make sure that, that uh, everything's lined up and ready to go. Now, maybe you want to share, maybe you need to email the document ahead of time. So make sure that that gets done so that they can pull it up if that's the if that's the right thing to do. And then the other is, is this whole idea of, of whiteboarding. I think in many cases, again, in pre-pandemic when you were face-to-face, That'd be some kind of board. You might draw schematics and draw designs and draw workflow, whatever it may happen to be. Keep doing that. All of these uh, web tools have a whiteboarding capability. You can also use an iPad or a tablet like that that allows you to draw with the pen and pencil that comes with those devices. And so I've gotten great impact by using my iPad and drawing on it. So in other words, I'm just going to keep repeating this mantra. Make it be as close to possible as it was when you were face-to-face. And I think the more you do that, I think the more success you're going to have. Yeah, another thought, this happened to me recently too. You may want to ask if anybody's just going to be in the car or not going to be able to be on video in person for the meeting, because those are something you may want to send them the deck in advance so they can look at it or have it with them, have a... um, reference point for the conversation if it works with security issues and all of that or or chat with your champion coach ahead Mm -hmm. of the call hey is everybody going to be in a room is everybody going to be on camera we think camera is important telling your champion that is anybody not going to be available or is anybody going to be moving in in a car and you know is there a way to to make that not happen should we adjust the time uh, and maybe you have to do that, but at least now I know ahead of time who that person is going to be. They're going to be in a car. Uh, and so I got some time perhaps to try to figure out a way to make that be more impactful for them. Yeah. And when you are presenting, I know you can't discount the importance of your energy. Marty, you always have great energy. So you're the perfect person to talk about this. <laughs> well, people say, you know, people say that, and I've been doing this long enough now to know that you know, that, that I do, part of that is just who I am. I mean, part of it is, I think what I sell, regardless of whether it was 25 years ago or today, I think that what I have to offer has big impact on people's business and big impact on them personally. So I think number one, that's, that should make you be energetic. But the other thing that I think is important is to stand up. Right now I'm standing up. Every single Every single meeting or call I do is standing up. I have a stand-up desk. I got it probably six, seven years ago. Really was a big change. You know, they say sitting is the next smoking, and so everyone should be standing up. And you're just better when you're standing up. You're able to speak you know, using your diaphragm. Your voice is stronger. Uh, it's easier to smile. You can use your hands if you're a hands person, because I am. So again, when I'm standing up, it feels as if back before the, the pandemic. So I would, if you don't, if you can't get a stand-up desk, I'd figure out a way to elevate your monitor, elevate your PC, and and stand up. You are just better just by standing up, and it comes across. 
people feel it the way you just said, you know, you're feeling it for me. And again, if that's just one more reason why they buy from you, then stand up. Yeah, we always say sales is a game of inches and those inches matter. Yes. Little little things matter. And I, I I know you have some great engagement tips as, as you execute the conversation. The first one is starting with open-ended question early on. And this also goes to that point that you talked about making sure you're involving everybody on the call. Yeah, so I think the, the beginning of the call, you know, I call it, you know, call it the opener, call it the grabber. I think there's multiple ways you can you can do that to kind of get people engaged instead of the traditional blah, 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 here's our agenda, blah, blah, blah. For many people, that's just a cue that says, oh, I that's just the standard opening. I have two or three minutes before I have to pay attention, right? So I think the way you can start or consider starting is with, with what I call the grabber. Could be a, a, a powerful, provocative, open-ended question uh, that kind of Throws, uh, throws them a curveball. They weren't expecting that. Now they know they have to respond and now you know you're immediately getting them engaged. Another way would be what I call a startling statistic that would be you know, specific to the kind of business that are in a big number or a small number that would really get them thinking in a provocative way. The third option is tell a story. And I don't mean tell a story like you would when you're at home. Tell a story about a customer of yours that has the same business problem that this prospect has that bought what you're pitching to them and can talk about it in a measurable way. That's a story. You would call that a proof point. And that could be an opening that really gets the conversation going. Yeah, and and as you are executing that conversation, as always, and this is, this is pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, in the pandemic, listen more than you speak. That is a hard thing to do. I will admit <laughs> it's, it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing for me to do. And so uh, I'll be honest with you. I tell you what I do when I ask a question and I want to make sure I get that, that prospect or customer to really think about the answer. I ask it. And then in my head, I say, shut up. And I, in my head, I do this. I just zip the lips. Right. And I know that's a kooky, silly thing, but in my head, that's what I say. I want to get a quality response from the person I'm asking the question to. I am going to ask an open-ended, but then I'm going to be quiet. There may be that awkward few seconds where that person you're asking the question to, they all of a sudden realize, oh, he actually wants me to answer in a well-thought-out way. And so you got to give him time. You got to <laughs> give him time to do that. And when you do, you're going to get a better answer. You can dive in deeper. And I actually think that most buyers appreciate the fact that you gave them time to formulate an answer instead of the traditional seller way who's got ADHD and just jump in. Well, I, I think I know the, I, I think I know what your answer is. And now you've just ruined the whole conversation. Right. Yes. Yeah, so true. So true. Marty, you've done a great job breaking down a lot of these tips and, and just some things for us to think about maybe in a different way now that we are doing much of our selling over web calls, if you were to sum all this up, what is the bottom line for us who, those of us who are managing our sales process in this remote environment, what would you give us as a final thought? Yeah, so I've, I've been thinking about what would, what is that final thought? And so what occurred to me is that um, the first time when you were a kid, you started trying to learn how to ride a bike, you fell down a bunch, you got some knees skinned up, some elbows skinned up, and uh, I'm sure that we all felt very frustrated by that. Maybe there were some even tears involved with that. But if we kept at it, within a relatively short amount of time, we mastered it. Now, if you flash forward to when you're 16, 17, 18 years old, and you're working on getting your driver's license, you started driving a car, and you were nervous and anxious about it, 
it was there were some probably bumpy lurches. You know, you hit the brakes too hard, you hit the gas too hard. But over time, you mastered it and you got good at it. All remote selling is it's the same kind of thing. Right now, it might feel bumpy, it might feel uncomfortable, you might be frustrated with it. But if you keep working at it, follow some of the tips we just talked about, you're going to master this skill. And in my opinion, this is the new normal. Just stop complaining about it, embrace it, become an expert at it. And I really do think you're gonna differentiate yourself from your competition because they'll see that you've mastered the ability to sell remotely in a pandemic. That's great. And manage, control, and own, own the remote selling environment. It's here to stay. It is. <laughs> Marty, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. I, I enjoyed our conversation. Well, I'm, I'm glad to be on here and I hope it's helpful and impactful and I hope people sell more of whatever they're selling because they listen to us. Awesome. And I do as well. And thank you to all of you for listening to the Audible Ready podcast. At Force Management, we're focused on transforming sales organizations into elite teams. Our proven methodologies deliver programs that build company alignment and fuel repeatable revenue growth. Give your teams the ability to execute the growth strategy at the point of sale. Our strength is our experience. The proof is in our results. Let's get started. Visit us at forcemanagement.com. You've been listening to the Audible Ready Podcast. To not miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Until next time.